Amen. If you're able, uh, for uh, stand um, out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Our lectionary is uh, taking us to a couple of places. Our Old Testament reading uh, from the 65th Psalm, uh, celebrating God's love of His created world. Psalm 65, 9 through 13. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain, for so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty. Your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the desert overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks, and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and sing. And then our New Testament reading from the book of Romans, the eighth chapter, the first 11 verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of man, of sinful man, is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit, who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God indeed. Well, as uh, many, most of you know, I've been been a pastor here at Grace for nearly 37 years. Um, I began my ministry here on October the 1st, 1983, And before that, I was an assistant pastor at Faith Presbyterian Church in Wilmington, where I began on October the 1st of 1979. So I've been a minister for nearly 41 years. Now, long before becoming a pastor, and for many years as a pastor, I had profound doubts about my salvation. I wrestled with assurance of salvation because I saw sin in my life. And 
I didn't know the maximum allowable sin or the minimum required holiness needed for assurance. Now, I know that sounds clever and cute, but it wasn't like I was trying to figure out how do I, get, how do I just get by? My question was, am I in? Is there enough righteousness and holiness in my life? Is there a sufficient eradication of sin in my actual day-to-day life to find assurance? You see, I failed to grasp that Jesus paid for all my sin, past, present, and future, and that I had the actual righteousness of Jesus, his perfect obedience to all of God's law, that I had that through faith in him, and there was nothing that I could do to add to that righteousness or to subtract from it. Oh, happy day was the day I realized the fullness of God's grace and the totality of the redemption that he had provided for Christ. The mists of fear evaporated in the brilliance of the sunlight of God's grace. My conscience was finally free, liberated, and the joy of God's salvation filled and flooded my heart. Now, I I still wrestle with the reality of sin in my life. I still wrestle with assurance of salvation, and therefore I still need to go to the gospel again and again, but I know how to spell relief. G-R-A-C-E. Grace. That's how you spell relief. Now, there is a day coming when what theologians call indwelling sin will be eradicated and the war within will finally cease. But the fullness of this redemption is not yet. In this present life, I wrestle with the presence of real sin in my life. I find the words of Paul in Romans 7, 21 through 24, which is just before our text, to be all too true, where he writes, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. That's why I need the gospel so much. And it's why I can echo the words of Paul in the very next verse, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then in my mind, I am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And this is why I need the gospel so much and why I can echo those words and why I can declare in the words of the first four chapter, first four verse, first four verses of our text today, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because 
Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son into the, in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Now, it is this, I mean... It's got to be some of the favorite words in all of Scripture for us, right? It was with these amazing words, this great declaration of the gospel that our New Testament lectionary begins today. And then what he is going to do, he's going to shift directions in the text. Really, there's a sense in which those four verses kind of finish off that seventh chapter. There's no break there. And then he's going to move into a whole new topic, and he wants to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And there's there's a great deal to be seen in these words, of course. But what I want to do this morning now in this pivot is to highlight a vital aspect of the Spirit's work in the believer, and it is this, that God's salvation is not merely spiritual. God's salvation is physical as well. It is transformative of the whole person. It is holistic, if we may use a term that is very popular in our day. And my iPad just froze. (laughs) If I don't get it back, I have a... All right? It's all right. (laughs) Kenny now knows to have this too, doesn't he? He didn't have his notes. He had to go from memory. But I don't have nearly the good memory that he does. So it's transformative of the whole person, and it is holistic. And this is why Paul speaks so forcefully to the reality of the wholeness of the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in this section now, will highlight the physical resurrection of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit, and that our physical resurrection is also through the work of the Spirit. That's how he That's how this last verse that we read this morning reads. For Paul says, For if the spirit of of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The work of the spirit is the resurrection of the body of Jesus, and it is our resurrection as well. In fact, it is not without significance, and I had never really put these two together, but it's not without significance that Paul begins his entire letter to the Romans by highlighting the physical resurrection of Jesus, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the first four verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to the human nature, was a descendant of David. Here it is. And who, through the power, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
right from the get-go. It is this powerful work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ that Paul highlights. Now, this, the, the physical resurrection of Jesus and the physical resurrection of the believer is rooted in God's creation of man. And we read that back in the second chapter of Genesis, verse 7, where we read, And the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living spirit. Man became a living spirit at the point when God joined body, death, dust, and spirit, breath. You see, your body is essential to your humanity, just as essential as is your spirit. That's how God made you. Your physical body is good over against many philosophies and theologies that say that it is not, that it's evil, and you are incomplete without your body. Death is abnormal. Sin has brought death, disease into this world. Sin has ripped apart what God has brought together, body and spirit. But Jesus came as a man incarnate to restore mankind through his death on the res- through and the res- through his death and resurrection so that we might go back and live exactly the way in which God created us at the very beginning and it is this it is this pushback against death and our longing our longing for that physical life that we, that we long for. Paul will go there a little later in this chapter in verses 22 through 23. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He's been talking about how the creation itself will be restored. And then he says, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. This is why the literal, physical, material resurrection is so central to the Christian faith. Paul will put it this way in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, which is the great chapter on the resurrection. He says in verses 16, uh, through, uh, through 19. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, for if, for, for if only in this life we have, hope in, we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all men. No physical resurrection? Forget it. Be pitied. But he goes on, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So this morning, if you are in Christ, favorite language of Paul, in Christ, 
means to put, have your faith in Christ. It means to have your confidence in his righteousness to be in Christ. It is to have faith, to be trusting in Jesus alone. If you are in Christ, then your body will literally, physically, materially rise from the dead. You yourself, body and spirit reunited, will live forever on the new physical earth restored through the redemptive work of Christ. I mention this often. Let me just mention again in passing, you're not going to spend eternity as a disembodied spirit off there somewhere. You will be on a new physical recreated earth in a physically resurrected body. Now all of this is true and is confirmed by the physical and material resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Make no mistake, the resurrection of the body of Jesus <clears throat> was literal and it was the self-same body in which he died on the cross. Let's be very clear. Jesus, Jesus did not get a new body that was different from the body he had when he died. On Easter morning, the, Christ, the, the tomb is empty. Empty of what? His body. That's why the angel says, he is not here. He has risen. Right? You look. There's no body. When Jesus appears to the disciples, he says to them, it is I myself. And Luke, the physician who gives us the most detail on all this, really drives it all home. We see that in verses 36 through 43 of uh, uh, Luke 24. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost, some kind of an immaterial spiritual being. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Oh, what did he, why did he ask that? Because ghosts and spirits don't eat food. Bodies do. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. I like broiled fish. And he took it and he ate it uh, in their presence. See, touch. Give me some food to eat. Right? Now, just, I just want to make this note in passing. That walking through the door, people say, well, see, his body must have been different because he walked through the door. Now it was a miracle. Just like when he walked on water. That was a miracle. It's a, it's a suspending of the, of, the, of the physical law. How did he do it? I don't know. But it was his actual body that was first on the outside of the door. Then it was inside. It was his physical body that walked on top of, of the water. You see, it was not because his body was different than before. And when Jesus appears to Thomas, he makes it clear that he has risen in the same body. Right? He makes a point of that over in John, um, the, um, the 20th chapter. Uh, we read that, verses 24 uh, through 28. Now Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was not there that night when he saw all that. Um, and so the, uh, the other disciples, uh, so the other disciples said, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see, all the nail, see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the, door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. You see, just like Jesus, our self-same bodies will rise literally, physically, materially from the dead. And that is the central point that Paul is making here in this 11th verse of the 8th chapter of Romans when he says, and if by the spirit of who... And notice how he, he, he states it twice, the, the physical resurrection. He, he's, he's, he's emphasizing it, right? Uh, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And of course, it is what he reiterates in that 23rd verse, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of this, we are grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is why the Westminster Catechism, the larger catechism, and the answer to the question, to the 87th question says, the self-same bodies of the dead which were laid in the grave, being again united to their souls forever, shall be raised up by the power of Christ. I would perfect it by saying by the power of the Holy Spirit, since, but, that's okay, but what it says is just fine. On that day of resurrection, these bodies of ours will be free from the devastating effects of sin, both, both physically and mentally. A good many years ago, I had the opportunity at the General Assembly of our denomination to actually see and hear Johnny Erickson Tata. She, there she was in person. And as mo many of you know, she's a quadriplegic. She sustained a spinal injury when she was 16 years old, diving into a shallow area of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, today, today, she's in her 70s. And I remember seeing her roll out on that platform with her motorized wheelchair. I don't, I, I don't remember, I, have, I can't remember what her topic was. The thing that really stands out to me is, is hearing her say, I look forward to the day when I get out of this wheelchair and walk again. It is an inescapable reality that sickness, death, and disease are all around us. Someone has well said, birth leads to a terminal condition called life. This life is indeed terminal. No amount of self-quarantining, no amount of sheltering in place can change this. And coronavirus has simply brought this fact into sharper focus. The media is relentless in reminding us of the danger of death by COVID-19, but this is hardly the only cause of death. The common flu results in the death of one of a quarter to a half million people every year. Road crashes result in the deaths of nearly one and one quarter million people every year. 
Untold numbers die in earthquakes and tsunamis. Sadly, I could go on, but the point is that sickness, disease, death are ever-present and relentless. And the Bible tells us why that is. A deadly virus has been unleashed on mankind, contracted by Adam and Eve from the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And it spread to all of humanity without exception, and it has a 100% mortality rate. Only Jesus has secured the cure through his death on the cross and through his mighty resurrection from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and so it is that Paul proclaims triumphantly in our text, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in, in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And so, in a time when our mortality is highlighted by the daily onslaught of COVID-19 news, we find hope in the reminder that life one day will be given to our mortal bodies and that the created order will finally and forever be restored. You know, I've often reminded you that the great story of the Bible can just can be simply divided into four main points. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's it. Hope, that's, that's the teaching of the whole Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And it is the hope of, re, of redemption and restoration that enables us to look with profound hope beyond the present to the day of Christ's return. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the glorious hope of the resurrection that you have given to us. And we, uh, we pray, uh, Lord, that that hope may be driven deeper into our hearts with every, rem with every reminder of the fallenness of this world, of the effects of sin in, our, in us and around us. May our eyes lift and look beyond uh, to that day when that will be no more. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.